Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Rebecca Masson from Fluff Bake Bar coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined this week by Nathan Ketchum, a local restaurant consultant. Nathan, how are you? Welcome back. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm dry, so that's good. Yes, you, you like, like I, live inside the loop, and so we're very fortunate to be spared the effects of the floodwaters. Yes, it's nice. I uh, feel bad for the people who were not spared, but luckily my wife and I came out okay, so we have the survivor's guilt, but other than that, we're, we're doing all right. Yes, an article about the survivor's guilt was the most popular story on Culture Map last week. I'm sure it will remain popular for a couple of weeks as we all sort of adjust to the new normal. Thankfully, what I'm hearing from people who were affected by the floodwaters is that they're starting to put their lives back together. They're renting apartments while their houses are being reconstructed. They're going back to work. Kids are going back to school. So certainly the city is lingering. The effects of Hurricane Harvey will be with us for a long time, but things are slowly returning to normal, which brings me to the news of the week, which is that the restaurant industry is digging in for the long haul. They understand that, that, after having donated food to first responders and evacuees, that that the fundraising for relief efforts is going to be ongoing. I am particularly intrigued by one started by T. Martin, the co-proprietor of legendary New Orleans restaurant Commander's Palace. It is the Hurricane Harvey Hospitality Employee Relief Fund. It is modeled after a fund that her brother, Alex Brennan Martin, started after Hurricane Katrina, that fund raised over a million dollars for hospitality workers in New Orleans. This fund that T. Martin started aims to raise a similar amount of money for people who work in the bar, restaurant, hotel, general service industries who were affected by Hurricane Harvey. So, for example, if you are a server or bartender or cook and you lost your car to floodwaters. We know at least a couple of people that that situation applies to. This fund will not buy you a car, but it will give you some cash money to help finance a car or maybe to cover a down payment. If you lost your house or your clothes, you know, rent was due September 1st for a lot of people who didn't work for a week. Maybe you have to move. Maybe you need new clothes. Again, this fund will disperse cash grants on an as-needed basis to hospitality workers. Certainly, uh, Commander's Palace will lead the way in raising money in New Orleans and working with restaurants in New Orleans to raise money. And, of course, it has such a high profile nationally that I think people will follow its lead. Brennan's will host its own fundraising events. And their, their culture... The, the Brennan's culture has touched so many Houston restaurants that I suspect many chefs around town will participate in fundraisers too. Nathan, I mean, the need is great. And so the fundraising must be extensive. I, I just wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah, the need is great. The need is many. Um, it's a need-based grant system, which I think is the best way to, to dole out the money. Um, and the, there are a lot of... Uh, restaurant industry people who really need the help right now not only because they were affected directly uh, either their homes were flooded their apartments were flooded their cars were destroyed their belongings they were out of work a week some of them are out of work continually because the restaurants were are still closed kieran's just opened back up Um, some restaurants are still down but uh, frankly the industry's slow right now it'll be slow for a while Um, but the being able to, to get that lump sum of money to help pay for bills based upon your need is a really great way to do it. And like you said, the Brennan's organization has really spawned this massive um, kind of uh, family tree of chefs through the city. So hopefully that will 
will really help them raise money. Many restaurants will will get into helping raise money, and then and then Commander's Palace is just this huge, well known organization. It's a massive tourist spot. It's a massive restaurant. If you've ever been there, it's physically imposing. So, you know, hopefully that'll help uh, raise raise the money. If we can get a million dollars to help uh, just these servers, cooks, barbacks, bartenders, uh, managers, help these people make it through this downtime, it'll really help the industry, you know, not implode and just stay where we are. Because we've really gotten to this fantastic point in Houston where the industry's grown you know, exponentially over the past three years. And if we just lose that, it would be really devastating. Right. And if you are a person in the service industry who wants to know how to apply, I will have all the relevant links in the article that goes along with this culture, this podcast on culture map. And of course I have a, a whole article with quotes from both T Martin and Alex Brendan Martin uh, about the fun and what they're trying to accomplish. So definitely check that out. And then we sort of have the flip side of that, which is that employee employers are starting to help their employees prepare for what could be an extended period. If, if they suffered a period, a short period of unemployment, they could be facing an extended period of underemployment. That is to say, if you previously worked 40 hours a week, you might be working 25. You are people in federal disaster areas are eligible for some wage assistance for the Texas workforce commission. I have an article about how Cherry Pie Hospitality, the group responsible for State Fair, Starfish, Pie Pizza, and a couple others, is helping their employees prepare for this period, helping them navigate this process of applying for these benefits. You know, Nathan, I think what's interesting to me is all these companies put the word hospitality in their name. It's nice to see them extending that hospitality to their employees. Yeah, Lee Ellis is taking a really cool approach to it. He's treating his employees, it's kind of like a family situation. He knows they're going to be slow for a little while, and instead of, you know, they've got to tighten their belt, and instead of just letting letting go of, say, you know, 20 employees, they just fire 20 employees to, you know, to not lose that money. Instead, you know, the whole organization is going to tighten their belts. You know, everybody as a whole are going to lose some hours and he's giving out these pamphlets to kind of, you know, let people know, hey, this is where you can make up the money from from hurting from the hurricane. This is how you um, can avoid, you know, if you've lost your car, this is what you do. This is how you can get through the the bureaucratic loops through the insurance. This is how you can um, not get screwed by contractors. Um, what, are, what are some of the other things in the... Phone numbers for creditors, right? You can typically get an extension on cell phone, credit cards, student loans, all of that in the disaster area. If you're eligible for it, if it applies to you, how not to buy a car that has been previously flooded, how to get FEMA housing assistance. There's, there's a lot of good information in that packet. They provided it to me. I turned it, I uploaded it to our system so that people can, read and download it uh, from our article on Culture Map. And of course, people, you know, one of the things that Cherry Pie is doing is they're offering to explain this to other restaurateurs. So I have a contact in there for Rob Harvey, who is the operations manager for Cherry Pie. Restaurateurs who want to know more about how they can help their employees can email Rob. Yeah, um, it's going to be one of the best things that... uh, I think restaurateurs and managers can really do if they were closed for um, any significant amount of time. I think they can just write a letter um, to the Texas Workforce Commission for your employees, just explaining that you were closed due to Harvey and that your employee could use that, uh, that benefit. That'll really go a long way for your employee um, and they'd really appreciate it. And there is one other effect on effect from Harvey that we haven't really talked about. Uh, Greg Morago in the Houston Chronicle had an extensive article about the effect of ingredients, farms, oysters. You know, the bays were flooded with extra fresh water. That's bad for oysters. Farms who had planted crops were probably drowned. I mean, what are you hearing? Like, what is the kind of the state of, everybody wants to eat local. Everybody wants 
local supplies. What's the state of that right now? It really depends on what the crop was and where the farm was. I know there were a couple small farms that really got hit hard. Um, a couple of the, the softer crops with the flooding got messed up. I know the Texas rice crops got destroyed. Um, and then obviously the oysters got hit really hard with the freshwater flooding flowing back out into the, the Gulf with the, the silt and the mud. So the the Gulf oysters are going to be really bad this year. Not only are they going to be, uh, it's going to be a very small crop, but they're probably going to be not a good crop. Um, overall with the farming, I know there have been several that have been hit. I don't think it's going to be as bad as some people are going to be predicting, but the problem is, the farms that we as restaurateurs like to purchase from, they're smaller farms, so they don't have the, the finances to even take a small hit. So it's more of a financial impact than this, you know, oh, the whole farm is destroyed, their crops are destroyed. But even if they lose 10%, that's their profit. They only, they only make one or two, three, four, five percent 5% profit. So if they lose 10% of their crops, that's, that's their profit. They don't make any money this year. A lot of these farmers, they don't make... They make very little profit. They work crazy hours. They don't have health insurance. So that's the type of stuff you have to worry about with these small farmers. So is there something that people can do? I mean, should we be, you know, going to farmer's markets and buying extra produce? I mean, is that, what, what's, the, what's the best way for people who want to support this movement to get involved? Yeah, going to the, the, the real farmer's markets, Urban Harvest, some of these, uh, you know, direct farmer's markets, purchasing direct from the farmer's giving these farmers as much money as you possibly can. It's the same way with these, uh, if you want to support the restaurant industry, going to you know the smallest restaurant you can and giving them money. Um, the best way to help the industry, whether it be farmers, you know, oyster industries, anyone you can, just give them money. If you have the money to spare, go out and spend it. The, your dollars are going to go more, they're going to go farther if you spend it locally. Yeah, I... I mean, that brings up kind of this broader point. Uh, the Houston Press had an article that went up Monday morning that people in the restaurant industry are down, that, that in the immediate aftermath of the storm, the restaurants are slower. Bars especially, I know Bobby Hugel said he's down as much as 70% at some of his properties downtown. Is that consistent with what you're hearing out there? I mean, how, how scared are people right now? They're pretty scared. I've, I've heard that in the last couple of days, it's gotten a little bit better once the traffic has gotten better. The the traffic, the insane, seeing all that red with the Google Maps really freaked people out. So nobody would go out after 7 p.m. Um, so I heard this weekend was considerably better at a lot of places. That doesn't mean it was good, but it was a lot better than the, the few days before. Um, so some of the places I've talked to were down 30 40 percent from you know the time before that's why the um you know the restaurant weeks is turning into two restaurant months uh but yeah it's going to be a long haul just like after the the 2008 um kind of financial collapse it didn't really hit houston that hard but at the same time the restaurants got hit really hard because people were like oh wow look at all these people that lost everything i'm not going to spend my money so when whenever the disaster like this happens people tend to save their money instead of spending it like they would normally. Right. And we saw that after Hurricane Ike where, you know, there were widespread power outages. I mean, I remember I was out. I didn't have power in my apartment for two weeks after that storm. Never lost power during Harvey, thank goodness. But it took the city a long time to kind of get back to its feet. It feels like that's kind of what we're going through right now. It's just that the timing really couldn't be worse. Restaurants count on business to kind of make their profit for the year and if the city isn't more or less back to normal by about mid-october it's really going to hurt put a hurt in people's bottom line yeah that's why these uh these fundraising attempts are so important we need to keep these restaurants afloat until we get to kind of a sense of real normalcy um i think the, the city will get back to normal uh you know, a lot of these people have been hit hard. They don't have the money to go spend. Um, you know, the people who would normally go out to spend money for a birthday celebration, they don't have the money right now. Um, or the maybe they, they just don't feel like celebrating. The And the, the storm, you know, a lot of you read all these articles about how it 
was very unfair on on um, uh, financial lines. It hit the poorest people, uh, but frankly, it, it hit a lot of a uh, lot of different financial uh, income people. So you know, it hit a uh, West U pretty hard. It hit Bel Air. It hit Meyerland. Hit a lot of upscale areas, and those are the people that would be going to a lot of these really high end restaurants, and they're going to be slow for a while. Yeah. And so, which is why, one of the reasons why I think Cleverly Stone decided to extend Houston Restaurant Weeks, there's been a little bit of pushback. It's really hard to tell. There's an article in the Houston Press about how servers are upset that HRW has been extended, but they only found two servers who would talk to them. One who sent them an anonymous email and one who started complaining on Facebook. I mean... They're worried that HRW means lower per person averages, which means smaller tips. This seems like kind of the ultimate myopia, right? At a time when when all restaurants are slow, to think that if a restaurant wasn't participating in the HRW extension, that it would just be back to business as usual and the servers would be making their full amount of money just seems unrealistic to me. Yeah, if if your restaurant is in this extended Houston Restaurant Weeks, then there's a good chance the owner of the restaurant did it because without it, they would be slow. So a server complaining about this extension, no, you know, as as we want to, if we want to believe that restaurateurs are all these altruistic people that are doing Restaurant Weeks because oh, they want to give all this money to the HR or to the Houston Food Bank because they're so charity given and. Oh, they love doing that. No, they do it because they want to make money in August where they would normally be dead. You know, they say, oh, this is a good way for us to have some business during a really slow month. That's what restaurant month is about. Any any other thing is, is complete BS. Although it's worth noting, it does raise a lot of money for the food bank and they do a lot of good. Yeah, that is the underlying thing about it. But the, the decision by decision you know, why each restaurant does it is they look at it saying, how busy will I be without it? How busy will I be without it? Maybe some of these really huge restaurants that have lots of money to play with, they make it based on a PR move. But other than that, you know, a small family restaurant can't make their decision based on, hey, I want to give $100,000 to charity. They don't have that type of money. So they do it based on, is this going to help my business for the month of August? They don't mind, you know, obviously they love giving that, you know, $5,000 check to the HRW at the end of the, or to the Houston Food Bank at the end of the month. But more than anything, they want to be able to bring in cash that month. So the HRW extension then is designed to help those restaurants lure diners in who, as you said, may not be feeling like celebrating, may not feel that they can afford the full menu at an upscale restaurant, but, but do want to treat themselves a little bit get in at a slightly more affordable price point. And unfortunately, that means probably decreased tips for servers. I know I've written in the past, other people have written in the past, you know, tip a little extra on the HRW menu, recognize that you're getting a deal, but that's probably not super realistic. Part of getting the deal is not having to tip quite so much. Yeah, the I, I read the the Houston Press article, the the anonymous server who complained uh, said that their table average was between 250 and $500. I don't know what restaurant that has between 250 and $500 table averages would be slammed busy currently. There may be one or two in the city, but in that case, we're talking about our one or two, you know, restaurant situation. And they're, the owner of their restaurant had to look and make a decision to extend the restaurant's restaurant weeks. So they decided that they would be busier doing it than not. Right. And this is where I would say good servers could separate themselves from average servers. Push that extra cocktail, push that bottle of wine, get them to pony up for sides or things that aren't on the HRW menu that are, that can bump that PPA up a little bit. I mean, this is, this is the time to step up. And I get the the complaint. The the anonymous server essentially was saying that um, they could not pay their bills during HRW because of the decreased amount of tips. Uh, but if they didn't have uh, the HRW, would they be busy enough to pay their bills in the first place? 
Right. That's, that, that's kind of the, the question, right? It's a, it's a Schrodinger cat situation. Like, wh- what's, what's, what's happening? Right. All right. That does it for the news of the week. Uh, we will be right back with our restaurants. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So usually for the restaurants of the week segment, Nathan, you and I go and dine at places together. Uh, but you, trader that you are, started a diet. And so declined to try new restaurants with me last week, which is not very helpful. This is not in the spirit of the show. Yes, I'm sorry. My wife and I uh, are, excuse me, my wife probably doesn't want me to say that, but I, uh, I went on a diet to buy myself. My wife uh, did not need to go on a diet. She's beautiful and amazing. Um, but I, by myself, without my wife, went on a diet and uh, um, did not join you for these restaurants. Well, nevertheless... We are getting a little bit back to normal. New restaurants are opening. I do have two I want to talk about. The first one is Good Company Kitchen and Cantina. This is the new Tex-Mex concept. Obviously, a legendary Houston restaurant family. Just opened up in the Woodlands next to the new Good Company Barbecue, which I know for most Culture Map readers feels pretty far away. Not asking you to drive to the Woodlands, especially when gas is $2.50 a gallon or more. However, it is coming to... Spring Branch, later this fall, to the old mason jar space on the Katy Freeway. I have to say, like, I, for me, Good Company hamburgers and taquerias may be my favorite Good Company concept. And so it just seems like them doing a Tex-Mex concept is kind of an evolution. Full service, more Tex-Mex, no more burgers. Like, you get chips and salsa when you sit down. They have an extensive... Agave selection, lots of different cocktails, mostly margaritas, fresh handmade flour tortillas, no tortilla machine, wood burning grill. That's a, you know, mesquite wood burning grill. Yeah. They love their mesquite. Yeah. That's a good company signature. It's not going anywhere. What can I tell you? What, What can I tell you about my meal at Good Company Kitchen and Cantina? What's separated them from the El Tiempos, the Papacitas, the Ninfas? So I think. You know, that wood burning, I mean, well, that wood burning grill puts them on par with the El Tiempos, the Ninfas of the world. The seafood is better, right? Like the, they're doing um, a grilled red snapper on the half shell. They've brought their signature Campechana from the seafood concept. They're doing their take on, you know, chicken and beef fajitas, the bacon wrapped, cheese stuffed grilled shrimp that everybody really likes. I had a surprisingly good uh, poblano soup. You know, it's just, it's a little, I'd say that the food's a little bit less um, traditionally Tex-Mex, slightly more sophisticated, but, Uh but, but with all the regular, like, but the enchiladas verdes was like maybe my favorite thing that I tried that day. But I also like that you can get empanadas with, uh, green chili pork in it. This is Houston. We don't take well to elevated Tex-Mex. No, I mean, you can get all the traditional, like there's a cheese enchilada that is as good as anybody's cheese enchilada. I had, you know, chicken enchiladas and a green salsa that was like bright and acidic and just the right level of spicy. All that traditional stuff is there, but the cocktails are really good. I'd say that separates it from El Tiempo and, and to a certain extent from Ninfa's. And also, there's a seafood element that I just wouldn't bother with at other Tex-Mex restaurants. Where were the tortillas on the tortilla level? The tortillas are very, very good. They are, as I said, they are handmade. They They were large. They were not thick, but like, there's like so thin that you can see through them. These are a little bit thicker than that. So they're a little more substantial. They held the tacos well. I think that, that these are, you know, what's funny is they, they don't have that at, at Good Company Taqueria. They don't, they don't hand make the tortillas yet. But even Levi Good was like, yeah, we're probably going to have to start doing that. Are they handmade with like the old lady on the plancha or are they handmade with the machine like Papacitos? They or? are not handmade on a machine. He said there's no machine involved. Okay. I did not go into the kitchen to meet the old lady, but they, they look handmade. The uh, best thing about the, the Guadalajara's. Is uh, seeing the old lady make the 
tortillas on the plancha right in front of you. Yeah, it's an it's an incredible part of going to Ninfas every time. That's why they put it near the entrance. So yeah. you know that they're doing it. All right. And then the other restaurant I want to talk about just briefly, uh, One Fifth Romance Languages. We had Chef Chris Shepard and Chef de Cuisine, Nick Fine, on the show a few weeks ago. This is the new version of One Fifth. It was a steakhouse. That's gone. Romance Languages takes elements from Spanish, Italian, and French cooking. It sounds like kind of an uncomfortable hodgepodge, but when you're sitting in the dining room, it actually works out really well. There are a lot of Spanish-inspired appetizers like pan de tomate. That's not how that's pronounced, is it? You're just laughing at me because I screwed that up so badly. Anyway, charred octopus. There's some French stuff, foie gras torchon, uh, escargot and croute. There's five pastas, including maybe the best spaghetti carbonara I've ever had in Houston because he's buying, it in now, aren't you? he's buying dried spaghetti from Italy, curing his own guanciale, and sourcing really great eggs from two different local farms. And then we debated over a couple of entrees. We got the cast iron paella, which it should be noted is not remotely traditional. It uses fideo noodles instead of rice, and it doesn't use saffron. Chris said he doesn't like saffron in paella. The person I was dining that with is was heresy. The person I was dining with was very upset by that. She said, "This is it's not paella without saffron." And he said that it gets the char on the bottom. It didn't really, or at least not the version that we had. And so, that would be tough with the noodles. But yeah. But the, the, as a seafood the noodle dish. Looked, looked pretty good, though, I do have to say. Yeah. As a seafood noodle dish, it is delicious. 70 bucks. It's It might even be too cheap. I, they they said they may even jack the price up a little bit because they're selling enough. Of it. You okay. get like half a lobster. You get a bunch of shrimp and mussels and clams with it. You get this incredible chorizo i don't know where they're spanish chorizo i don't know where they're sourcing it from but it kind of tied the whole dish together so as a paella maybe not as a noodle dish with an epic amount of very well-cooked seafood delicious and then we did like a cherry tart for dessert that was absolutely killer there's a croquembouche on the menu that i will absolutely go back for uh the other thing that i will go back for are the towers uh they are big they are expensive they require more of a group than the two of us could handle. At yeah, an the initial uh, visit. the towers and the nada paella was the were the two things that uh, I saw you eat that made me very jealous. Yeah, the the tower will have to wait uh, until I get a big a bigger group together. Maybe after your diet, we'll go and knock down a, a tower with both cold seafood. They're doing whole crab legs this time, uh, and also charcuterie. So you can get like different terrines and potted meats. Uh, the, the big tower is $200. The big steak come is a 36 ounce bone and ribeye from 44 farms. It comes with six ounces of foie gras. That's $250. I did not see any of those go out while I was there. I feel like that's more of a commitment. That's going to require six or eight people to kind of make that cost a little bit more reasonable. So it's 36 ounce steak with six ounces of foie. Yeah. For $250. Yeah, and some other it's stuff. Pretty I hefty. It's but. pretty hefty. It might be one of the most expensive entrees in Houston. They what, what roast it. The? They roast it in the hearth. Okay. Like they roast, so it's not. They're not doing the cast iron anymore. To differentiate it from the steakhouse, it's it's roasted, slow cooked in the hearth, which is intriguing to me. La Tabs was one hundred and seventy. Yes, one seventy, one eighty. That that may that I thought that was the new king of steaks in Houston, but yeah, one fifth Romance languages has stepped up. I, I will say the pastas, all of the pastas looked good. The carbonara is excellent. It is, depending on what you do, if you stay away from the towers and you stay away from that steak, it is much more affordable than one fifth steakhouse was. Yeah. Uh, the menu looks great. The menu was very uh, appetizing. Yes, I tried to lure you away from your diet with it, but alas, I failed. You got close. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was touch and go for a minute. You almost broke me. All right, well, I will try harder next time to push you. But until then, uh, that does it for Restaurants of the Week. We will be right back with Becky Masson from Fluff Bake Bar. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to us by 
Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. And if you haven't been to the brewery recently, there's a new reason to go, and it's not just the beer, and it's not just the food from the Eatsy Boys food truck. Although those reasons are sufficient to get me over to Eighth Wonder, probably more frequently than I should admit publicly. But they now have the David Attic statues of the Beatles. So you can see John, Paul, George, and Ringo, 36 feet tall, made out of concrete, in their Sgt. Pepper gear. It is one of the coolest pieces of public art I have seen in a really long time. And while you're at Eighth Wonder, you can enjoy one of their delicious beers. There's always something new to try. Currently, that is AstroTurf, a variation on Dome Foam, which is my favorite Eighth Wonder beer. AstroTurf is dry hopped with extra hops that give it a kind of sweet floral aroma. Very easy to drink, one or two. Very easy to drink, maybe more than that. But again, the brewery, it's, it's just fun. It's a great place to hang out. There's always concerts going on. You can check their various social media pages for the details. And of course, it is still very conveniently located for both the local soccer team and the local baseball team. It's a great place to go before a game. So thank you to 8th Wonder. And here is our interview of the week. I'm joined now by Rebecca Masson, the chef owner of Fluff Bake Bar in Midtown, Miss Masson, how are you? I'm good, Mr. Sandler. How are you? I am well. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. We have a lot to get to. I feel like you're a super busy lady. I try to get around. <laughs> but I do kind of <laughs> want to start at the beginning. You moved here. You moved. You grew up here. No. No. You grew up in, wait, I'm Montana? A, Wyoming. I what? am fourth generation born in Wyoming. I grew up in Dallas, unfortunately. We forgive you. Okay, thank you. You were working in New York City prior to your time in Houston. In Houston. Correct. Just briefly, what were some of the places you worked at in New York City? Uh, well, you know, I was a pastry cook at Danielle and DB Bistro, and then um, a few in betweens. Uh, but most the, towards the end, I was my biggest one is the pastry chef at the Red Cat for two years, and then I opened BLT Prime. Ooh. Yeah. And then you came to Houston to work where at 17? At 17, I did. Um, I decided it was time to get out of New York, and I had interviewed. It was funny. I Dallas, uh, Dallas, Houston, uh, Philadelphia, L.A., and Boston. Um, and I came down here and interviewed for Ryan at 17. And then I left here, and I went to a very famous place that serves lots of fish in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, and I was doing my tasting, and I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, my God, it smells like fish. It smells like fish. Like, everywhere, it smelled like fish. And so I was a little – I didn't really like it. And so that night I got back to the hotel room, and I'm reading this email from Ryan. And it's like, you know, we really enjoyed you. We like your style. We'd like you here, blah, blah, blah. P.S. This unnamed fish place smells bad. <laughs> he knew he knew well he knew where i was going right but he just was like i think tracy the sous chef was like you got to put something snarky in there she's snarky and so he was like so and so smells bad and i was like okay i'm going to houston okay we should explain that ryan by the way is ryan para yes now the chef of cultivare and one of the owners of agricultural hospitality and then from 17 which was the restaurant at the restaurant at, at the hotel that is now called the Sam Houston. Right. It was the Alden. Yes. Yeah. It's changed. It's, it, that hotel's a little schizophrenic. Y you went to Catalan? Yes. Catalan and Ibiza. Okay. Everyone knows Catalan, but I did make stuff for Charles, too. Yeah. Catalan was Chris Shepard's restaurant before he left to go open Underbelly. Which is where Antonio named me the sugar hooker. Oh, good. Yes. That, that spares me that question. Yes, you are. <laughs> Widely known as the sugar hooker. Uh -huh. Although I've been trying to rebrand you as the sugar courtesan. I like this one. It's much more, um, it's fancier. Yeah, you're a little classier. You're too classy to be the sugar hooker. Yeah, there you go. And then you went out on your own. Uh, no, uh, a lot of people don't know. I had a brief 18-month stint at Central Market. I did not know that. Yes, I ran the pastry department at Central Market for 18 months. Um, I learned a lot about running... Like, they basically said, here, this is your business, run it. So that was good. Um, 
you know, that's I got that out of it. And and knee surgery. <laughs> you, yes, health insurance. You've yeah. done quite a bit of consulting also. Uh yeah, did some consulting on some menus. Um a, a failed attempt at Vic and Anthony's. We we did it, but then it didn't fly. Um are Stella Sola open with your pastries, as I recall? Oh, yeah, that's true. Stella Sola. I forgot about Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Stella Sola, who else? I can't remember who else. Anyways, yeah, here and there. And then Fluff Bake Bar opened, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah, so I did wholesale out of the Craftsman Commissary, if you would like to call it that. And, um, yeah, air quotes. And uh, for about four years, and then decided I needed my own storefront. And there you go. Fluff's, Fluff was to Memorial Day weekend. So how's it going? You know, I feel like I'm married. My husband's name is Fluff Bake Bar. I have... Your children are your employees. I have 6.5 children, because one's part-time, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's really good. Um you know, I, I don't know. I kind of fell. You get you get going, and then you kind of fall in this slump, and then you know Harvey hit and slaps us all back into place. And um, you might have seen the post on Facebook, but I opened the Tuesday after Harvey, and it was just me, and I just baked cookies and made coffee because that's all I had. Well, some people bought champagne, like because they got to go out of their house, but uh, it was just great. Like all my neighbors from the neighborhood came in everybody was smiling they were sharing stories it was like are you okay i'm okay you okay you know oh here let me buy everything you have and take it to the volunteers and that just kept happening all day long and and i had one of my best days business wise but personally i had one of my best days because it kind of reminded me why i wanted to have a bakery in the first place so i could have my neighborhood come in and hang out and you know we know them all by name and we know their dogs, and it was just, it was cool. Yeah, and it's worth noting that you are not just a normal, I mean, you have all the normal stuff. You can get, you know, chocolate chip cookies and birthday cakes and ice cream and all that. Yeah. All that stuff, but you do so much more. Yeah, you know, it's, I think it stems from being in restaurants for so long is that my brain works in a way that I have a plate and I have four or five components and I have warm and cold and hot or crunchy and sweet and salty, and I think my brain still works that way, even though I'm trying to cram it all in a cookie. You know, sometimes that doesn't work, but sometimes it does, like the couch potato. Right, the couch potato is, I, I mean, I know that it's named that because it has potato chips in it. Well, I, I thought it, well, my friend Miles up in New York named it, but it was like all the snacks you eat on the couch. Yeah, It's almost the stoner cookie. It, I, yeah, I didn't know if I'd get away with that one. Probably not. Probably not. Yet. Yeah, yeah. So, but now it's the couch potato is kind of it's growing. Now we have the brown couch, which is like a brookie. It's a cookie and a brownie baked together, and then now we do um, chocolate or couch potato cookie dough. And um, don't worry, pasteurized eggs, heat treated flour won't make you sick. Knock on wood. <laughs> it shouldn't. Um. <laughs> But what I mean is, in addition to, like, serving regular pastries to people. Oh, all the stuff we do. You do all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Saturday morning bake sales, uh, you can count on seeing me there at least once a month, maybe even. Sometimes twice. Sometimes twice. Yeah. You, you collaborate with all kinds of local chefs. You collaborate with chefs from out of town. Yeah. You collaborate with barbecue pitmasters. That seems like that might be your favorite. It is. I, I need to get more. So I need to, you know, I need, I, I want, because we've had Wayne um, a couple times and God, I love me some Wayne Mueller. Um, my mom said if she wasn't married, you know. <laughs> I, think <laughs> I, just, a, I think a lot of moms say that. She's going to kill me. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had Pinkertons and Grant is awesome. Oh, he did that pulled pork sticky bun. Man, that thing was good. Um, those are really, really fun. It puts us out of our our box, you know, like Philippe Gaston this past weekend completely put us out of our box because it was everything was covered in queso. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It was so good. Um, but sometimes we have the traditionalists and sometimes we have the guys. And I tell them I have this whole little I finally wrote it all down because it was getting tiring of saying it over and over. But think about the most ridiculous thing you want to eat and then let's make it, you know, like Lee Ellis did that. um 
Somebody, we were out of like fried chicken, so somebody got like the chili mac on the donuts with the chili and the mac and cheese. It, it was re- oh, it was so crazy. Yeah, yeah, and these happen every Saturday. Every Saturday that well, it happens every Saturday whether I'm here or not. But if I'm out of town for an event, um, our staff does it. We don't want to bring somebody in if I'm not there. Right. Yeah. So um, I'd say forty five weeks out of the year. So what determines? Who gets to participate? Do you pick them? Do they come to you? I mean, how does that, how does this work? It used to be that I picked them all, right? And I just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe. And now I have, somebody came up to me and was like, my PR company wanted me to ask you about a bake sale. And I was like, you can do a bake sale if your PR company doesn't come. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not like, it's a thing, but it's a fun thing. It's not like a... You know, I don't know. Anyways, um, and now I'm recently, I, I like, I started branching out. You know, we got, we had uh, Lisa Seeger from Blue Heron Farm. That was super fun. We had somebody from the Dairy Maids. The end of the month, we have Lainey Cullum. Um, and then celebrity bartender. Celebrity bartender. And then we have another one, Robin Berwick, just signed up for Ooh. December 23rd. And we're going to have a Hawaiian Christmas bake sale. Robin Berwick is the owner of Double Trouble Caffeine and Cocktails in Midtown. One of the most quietly underrated bars in Houston. Oh, yeah. And she, her, the Robins are quietly underrated bartenders. Yes. They're, I love those girls. Original Anvil staff members. Oh, my God. That's right. Mm. Poison Girl, too, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, yes. So, that'll be fun. And they'll bring a little of that double trouble tiki aesthetic to uh-huh. Fluff Bake Bar. That's cool. Yeah. But we, we also do, like, ice cream socials. Yeah, you have an ice cream social coming up this week, so why don't you tell yeah. us who's coming? And I haven't been to any of those. So you're going to have to tell me what that's okay. like. Okay, so we, we've just randomly thrown some ice cream socials in there. Um, we did. We had Marco from, um, uh, Marce- no, Marco. Marcelo's Trentino. Marco is Dolce Neve. Yes. Okay, sorry, thinking out loud. Uh, we had Marco um, with Dolce Neve. Uh, cu- a couple months ago, we had Dana Cree from The Publican in Chicago. Um, and then this Friday, we have um, Stephen Kaluki from Cook Shop in New York. And he's celebrating because he just wrote a book called Every Day's a Sunday. So. <laughs> yeah, the like wild over the top Sunday thing is like this national trend that has just not come to Houston at all. No, I love Sundays. Oh my God, I used to make a Sunday at uh, 17, actually. All right, so is he making Sundays when he comes here? Uh, I'm going to talk to him this afternoon and find out. There's going to be, there's got to be at least one Sunday. We'll make sure there's at least one Sunday on there. Um, we might do like an ice cream sandwich, maybe a push pop, something like that. And then Stephen's staying the weekend. He's doing our bake sale. Because um, he wrote another book, Glazed, Filled, Sugared, and Dipped, which is all about donuts. So there's been a little discussion between Stephen and I. I have a Franklin barbecue brisket in my freezer. Ooh. The answer is yes. On yes. a donut. Franklin Franklin barbecue donut. Yeah. Yes. It should yeah. just be yes. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. yes. Yeah. It's probably going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And then you also do pop-up dinners, and you've had some pretty incredible guests. I mean, well, I, I mean, you've had chefs from San Antonio and Austin and Dallas. You've had chefs from New York. San Francisco, Milwaukee. Yeah. How did those? So you call it dinner with my friends? Yeah, I don't mean to. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Are they all your friends? Um, I think the only one I well, I've now I've met him, but when I signed him up, I hadn't met him. Is Kevin Nash in, in December from St. Louis? Um, oh, but that one guy you hate. Yeah, <laughs> it was really funny too. I was sitting there talking to him at a wedding, and I was like, uh, Ryan Pruitt, Pruitt was there from Pache and Nola, and he's next month. And Kelly English from Memphis. And they're like, oh, I was like, oh, wait, I have a chef from St. Louis in December. And I was looking. I was like, Kevin Nash. And he goes, that's me. And I was like, uh, bull. (laughs) (laughs) Did you make him show your driver's license? He did. (laughs) So now we've met. But um, I'd say 90% of them are actually my friends. And it all started because once I opened, I didn't get to travel as much to see them. Um, and I love their food and I want to support them all. And I thought, well, people in Houston need to know about them. And so it's, we've only done one chef or two chefs from Houston for those dinners. Everybody else is outside of town. Yeah. I think you did one with Brian Caswell and, oh, Brandy Key. We did Brandy Key. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I mean, 
it's safe to say no one else in Houston is doing this, right? No one else in Houston is has a dinner series that involves guest chefs flying in from out of town. Well, I mean, they all, you know, like they do, I guess they do one-off dinners, you know? And yeah, they bring like people. if someone's coming in to plug a cookbook or something, you might get yeah. a dinner somewhere. But yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's really fun. It's the bake sales and the dinners are awesome events for my staff because my staff gets exposed to chefs, you know, different types of food. Hell, I've learned how to cook a little. It's kind of amazing. You know, that different foods, different chefs, they get to, you know, scooping cookies gets really boring. I know. So I'm I'm trying to liven up their lives a little and enrich them with these experiences that they wouldn't normally get anywhere else. And I think, you know, and and a lot of times at the dinners, I kind of stand back and let my staff help plate and serve and let them do it. And I stand in the corner and drink rosé. Well, and it's worth noting these are, you you seat about 24 people. Yeah. And it's the actual chef cooking. Like if you, like if John Tezar comes to town. John Tezar, yeah, he's cooking. Right, he's cooking. Which if you go to Knife in Dallas, like he may be there, he may not be there. He's a busy guy with a lot to do. Flip a coin, yeah. Yeah, it's probably, probably not even that likely. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's a great way to experience these high profile, very acclaimed chefs in a very intimate environment. I mean, we've had well, Kevin's a James Beard winner. Ryan Pruitt has a James Beard for Pache. I mean, it's yeah, I'm Steve not, McHugh not. is gonna win one for oh yeah cured yeah probably next year probably yeah we don't I you know I have I have cool well I mean I don't mean to I'm just I'm a cool person that's what you're trying to say yeah. I know cool people. I know them. I'm popular. What was what's the Kanye line? Because my life is dope and I do dope shit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I want to be like Kanye. <laughs> Producer Michael will flag that moment for the radio rebroadcast. Uh, Beep. <laughs> um, and then maybe nothing. Maybe the single coolest thing you're doing is is we talked about. You got your start here at 17 working with Ryan Para. Turns out, so did a lot of other people. And in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, you guys are having a, a 17 reunion dinner that's kind of getting the band back together. So I don't want to turn this into a nonstop fluff bake bar plugathon, but just tell the people a little bit about, <laughs> a little bit about what's going on. Well, this is you know we now I call I used to call Danielle Papa because you know well I still do, but now I feel like I should call Ryan Papa. Um, so uh, around the, I think it's like from 2005 to 2000, no, 2004 to 2007, we got 12 or 14 of the line cook chefs, sous chefs, pastry chef, uh, Otto and I, Otto Sanchez, who's at the table sat down and we were like, let's do it. Let's do this. So we're doing a dinner October 1st, Ralph Smith studios. Uh, I last, the, the update this morning was 97 tickets have sold out of how many? Uh, 130. Okay, so that was so that's 97 tickets as of Monday morning, which is when we're taping this, which means that maybe by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday that it could be sold out, but the tickets are 150 bucks. If they are not sold out, they will be soon. Yeah. Um, locally, right, Ernesto Villarreal, Joe Ryan Perra, Joe Stasich from Eloise Nichols and, and the Adair Kitchen. Justin Yu. I don't know who that guy, I've never heard of that guy. Yeah, he couldn't make, he, no, I won't embarrass him. <laughs> anyway, Justin <laughs> Yu from uh, the, the forthcoming Theodore Rex, formerly of Oxhart, a James Beard winner in his own right. And then a whole bunch of people from out of town that I don't necessarily know. Yeah, there's like this kid, Sean Duffy, who is a sous chef. He makes amazing breads up in um, Washington now. He's cultured breads. Um, I don't know Kimo's last name. I think he's Pacific Northwest. Stu Navarro's Pacific Northwest. Um, fingers are crossed that Bernice, she used to work for, uh, Mishis and now she's working for the Dovetail guys in New York city. Uh, Gabe Godell, who's now at the kitchen in Denver. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty darn exciting. I mean, you know, some of us haven't seen each other in since 2007. So, so it's how many chefs? It's like 14 chefs. Uh, roughly, yeah, fourteen. So we, seven courses. You're going to team up. We're going to team up. Yeah. How much are the tickets? One fifty. Um, Minor Family Vineyards, Victory Wine Group, St. Arnold's. They're all donating beverages. Morgan and Julie from Cultivare are doing the cocktails for the opening reception. Ooh. We have 
the most amazing auction items. Like we we've gone big. A lot of like weekend stays in hotels all over Texas and New York and like Baja California. Uh, be a big stale star macaroon class with auto like Ooh. yeah you know, that's really good yeah yeah auto makes yeah. really good macaroons yeah i'm kind of over them. you and auto doing doing baked goods makes me really want to go i know and duffy's bread i'm so yeah. excited to try duff's bread it's yeah the cultured bread right uh-huh yeah. mm-hmm. it's seattle i think i can't remember so you've had fluff bake bar for a couple of years yes it's going fairly well by all accounts. Yeah, except for Ninja just left me. Yeah, your longtime sous chef. My ride or die. Yeah, five and a half years. Where did she go? She moved to Denver. Was it legal weed or something else? Uh, well, you know, I told her to go find a job learning how to do it, and then I would come and open the fluffier bake bar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how else Some, am I going to hire a driver? I got to hit it big time. Yeah. Some real pot brownies. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, do you think about a second location? Is that something you have ever contemplate? Eh, you know, I've been tossing that around in my head. Um, if I do, what I'll probably do is do a commissary first. Because I'm very controlling of my product. And then, number two, I don't want to find seven more pastry cooks in Houston. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have the best ones. I'm not giving them up. <laughs> Well, and also a commissary might allow you to grow beyond Houston. It would. It would. But it would allow me to expand the wholesale part of it. Um, I've had, you know, my obsession with croissants, as obviously anyone who follows my Instagram knows, I'm mildly obsessed. Um, But that's triggered some of these coffee shops that we do uh, cookies and stuff for. Like, I want croissants. And I'm like, okay, um, I can't do them right now. I just, I don't have the capacity the room i've got the dough sheeter i just don't have the room so things like that that would that expanding that wholesale part of it would be a big part of it for me too yeah and i mean you went to vegas to take a croissant class did you actually a year ago yeah this weekend that was a tough weekend for me by the way just just watching Watching that on social media daniel alvarez is a machine he's amazing yeah i think just spending Three days watching someone over and over laminate something because there's so many tiny mistakes you could be making that you don't really, you don't know. You don't know what it is, right? Maybe you missed that little corner of this or that. And so just being submerged in it and then having um, seven other pastry chefs, like accomplished pastry chefs around you to bounce off things. I just And then I came home and I immediately made everything, whether I needed it or not just so I could remember how, you know, sink it in. Um, and then just that over uh, over a year now, I whenever I make them, I'm like, oh, yes. Oh. Yeah, because that, at the Houston Barbecue Festival, that... Oh, my God. <laughs> that Louis Mueller beef rib <laughs> in a freshly made croissant was maybe one of the... Because it was so buttery Meat butter. and rich and fatty was just maybe one of the most decadent things I've eaten in a long, long time. I love that. Wayne is, see, there you go. I need wholesale because Wayne wants croissants because he wants to put that on his menu. Yeah, and when he opens in Houston, he could do that. Yes. From a consumer standpoint, please, please, please do this. <laughs> one, not only the Wayne one, just if I can get your, like a really good croissant at a, at a random coffee shop, yeah, I'll be very happy. It'll step up the bakery game in Houston by a thousand points and two yes i want that damn the beef rib the croissant, beef rib croissant. i i want so it right good. now i'm crying inside <laughs> i i need it are there other pastries it, i mean now that you've kind of got croissants under control is there do you do you know what's next is there something you else? my newest my my obsession my next obsession yeah yeah i haven't found it yet okay I'm, I'm, I've always been obsessed with ice cream. Ice cream's always been one of my favorite things. I have a rinky-dink machine, and we have four or five flavors every day, and we spin quite often because, you know, it's a small machine. Um, but, you know, I love making the ice cream pops and ice cream sandwiches. Like, yesterday I made coffee ice cream, and let me tell you, that between two chocolate chocolate peanut butter cookies is good. It's good. Okay. Yeah. So ice cream's always been kind of an obsession too. But yeah, I haven't really, you know, I guess I need to perfect Queen of Mons too. They're good, but they're not perfect. Make some really fatty custard. 
Ooh. Frozen custard. Yeah, frozen, frozen custard. Yeah, that would be good. I need a bigger machine. Yeah. Yeah. You can make the switch the flavors up easy. So if anybody really... out there has a couple hundred thousand grand that they would like to help me open the commissary with the fancy ice cream machine, I'm down for it. Come on, listeners. You know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> right, Becky, a check. All right. There is there's one other topic I feel like I have to discuss with Uh-oh. you because it's something that, that unites us against the rest of the Houston culinary world. Uh-oh. No, you know what this is. I do. We are the only two people in the Houston culinary scene who have any affection for restaurants in Dallas. It's true. Why? I was going to ask you. You're the guest. I'm the host. Oh. What is it, what is it about <laughs> Dallas that people... What do you like? Let me, let me put it to you slightly differently. Okay. What are people missing? Why should people be going to Dallas more often? Um, well, you know, I'm going to tell... As a whole, I... I, I mean, I can say this because I grew up in Dallas. I spent, let's say, just off the cuff, 20 years in Dallas, right? No, it wasn't even that long, but whatever. Um, and I despised Dallas, right? And I didn't go back for a really long time, right? And then I asked Matt McAllister to do a Lucky Dog dinner. I'd never met Matt before. <laughs> and Matt, we should say, is the chef owner of FT33, which is yes, arguably one of the three or four best restaurants in Dallas. Of course, yes, hands down. Um, and I loved what he did, and so I said, hey, I'm going to come up for my birthday, right? And so um, I came, and I, I don't know how many courses he made, and every single bite was it was so good. It was just, I don't know, it was delicious. It, between him and Justin Yu, they've gotten me to eat my vegetables. You know, I mean, you're talking to a kid who grew up on peanut butter and jelly, so. Um, now you have Mirador, Top Knot with the Uchi and Uchi, um, uh, I, I have asked Tyson Cole, the owner of Uchi, to bring Top Knot to Houston, which is their it's yeah. their Zakaya concept. There's nothing there's nothing like it in Houston, and I just I think the food's so good. I think it'd be huge here. I think it would be too. He should just put a second level on the. the he Uchi. should just kick. I mean, no disrespect to oh, Carson Rosemont. Hager and the Rosemont guys, but <laughs> he should kick Rosemont out and open Top Knot there. Yeah, um, there's you know you've got Catherine Clapner has Dude Sweet Chocolate. You have Kate Weiser Chocolates. You've got, I mean, I just can't even, the Deep Ellen I'm a, I'm a huge guys. 10 ramen person. Oh, the 10 ramen. Yeah. See, there's so many I forget. Oh, L- Lucia? Knife, yeah. Oh, my God. Lucia? Hello? Yeah, the teeny tiny. Yeah, that was the, that's the dinner with my friends that I most regret missing because. David Uger is oh, so it's good. It's a teeny tiny Italian restaurant that you literally can't get into. No, you can't. You can't. Um, I don't know. I just, I hope, like at the auction, we have a couple packages for hotel stays and dinners in Dallas. And I, I really hope people go with an open mind. I just, you know, also snuffers and cheese fries are in Dallas. We don't have snuffers and we don't have good cheese fries. So hello. All right. Now it's time for the end of the interview. I call it the lightning round. Five easy questions. Okay. Short answers. Okay. Ready? Go. What is the first restaurant you worked at? The first restaurant I worked at? Like pre-culinary school or after? Yeah, like the very first. Your first paycheck that came from a restaurant. The Black Eyed Pea. (laughs) I was hoping it would be something like that. I was a hostess with the mostess. What is your, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Um, my, uh, My dad took me to see Elton John when I was 12. What is your fast food drive through guilty pleasure? Honey butter chicken biscuit from Watamoga. Uh, usually I write these down and now I can't think of the other one. Uh-oh. Um, favorite Houston sports. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, oh. thank you. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Um, uh, oh, who's that guy that I worked at next to and, and and when I had knee surgery, he was so fun. Matumbo. Dikembe Matumbo? Yes. Because uh, we we had the same physical therapist uh, for knee surgery, and he worked next to, next to me. And every Tuesday and Thursday, and he'd go, hi, I'm M- Matumbo. I pay for the Rockets. I go, hi, I'm Rebecca. I bake cookies. He goes, oh, what'd you do? And we'd every Tuesday and Thursday, the same story. <laughs> yes. and, then, and then finally, what is your favorite place to get a taco? Oh gosh, my favorite taco. 
Oh, you know, people are going to kick me for this, but um, the uh, the tikka masala one at Velvet Taco is like right now my my favorite right now. We have Taco Tuesday at Fluff Bake Bar, so we order tacos from different places on favor. But you know, my mom also makes a really good loose meat taco. Good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. We can follow you, you. on. Instagram at Sugar Fairy. Uh-huh. And Fluff Bake Bar. And Fluff Bake Bar on Instagram. And uh-huh. of course, fluffbakebar.com on Facebook. All that for all the latest. Yes. Fluff Bake Bar related going on. We don't really mess with the Twitters, so. No. Nathan <laughs> we Nathan Nathan is old school. Nathan still messes with the Twitter. At H Town Food Junkie, although maybe changing. I may have I may have shamed him into a less ridiculous Twitter handle. Please do not place a cake order via Twitter messages. Thank you. Noted. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler, and of course, keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston Bar and Restaurant news. That does it for this week. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and now on Google Play. Please rate us and leave us a comment, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. I'll be back next week with some of the guys from Better Luck Tomorrow.